would. They would. Tuesday. Good morning. It's the Meaning Wave Morning Show. Oh, my camera seems to have slipped down. That would have been Hercules, I guess. Young Hercules, seven-year-old Hercules, son of the dawn. He, he joined us on the stream last night, right at the end, and uh, managed to persuade 20 bucks out of uh, out of the citizens of the MAZ. My goodness. And what a happy boy he was after that. He got his Robux. Spending his Robux on nonsense. Very happy. Anyway, good morning, one and all. Coach Revis says, morning, everyone. Was just listening to yesterday's synthwave set. Hoorah. Does I feel like the voice audio may be a bit muddled. What do you mean muddled? I don't know what you're talking about. Muddled? I do like that word. It's a good word, muddled. I don't hear it enough. Ah, anyway. It's a beautiful Saturday. Here in Dripping Springs, the sun is coming up, the birds are chirping, the crickets are doing that thing that crickets do. I'm trying to come up with a reason to go to Home Depot. You know, I need to build a new DJ desk. I need to build a desk for my studio. I need to build some racks. I mean, there's lots of stuff I need to build. Dances how to hustle with Herc Persuasion 101 in the MMAZU. Heck yeah. That's a good idea. Herc was saying, Oh, Dada, I need to make a new book so I can sell it. What should my book be about? Yeah, there you go. Damn, Cray, is, what, what is the problem? Does anyone else have a problem with the audio? Is the audio problematic for anybody else? Can everybody hear things? La, la, la. Meaning Wave Radio 24-7. I've been uh, testing it. It was running all night. It's still running. It's great. Might be ready to launch today. Who knows? Walking Mall Purse's audio sounds good here. Oh, good. I'm glad. Milkman Dance is good at my end. Hello, Milkman Dance. Good morning. Perfect Ratio 4 says, going to Home Depot for some garden rocks and mulch. Because the Zen garden won't plant itself. That's just facts. If you don't plant the Zen garden, there is no Zen garden. Here are the other buttons, which are mostly self-explanatory. But freedom is a big thing. People will trade a lot for freedom. 
You can say, would you like a bad life with freedom or a good life with no freedom? But people think it's a bad life with freedom. So if you ever have a chance to create a situation where you can offer someone more freedom, that's very powerful. That's a button. And you should get as much for yourself as you can. And you can use it as a tool to help other people get what they want. Because they will train a lot for freedom. Because they will train a lot for freedom. People will train a lot for freedom. Because they will train a lot for freedom. And freedom can come in the form of getting money. That gives you freedom. Having a flexible schedule gives you freedom. Being in the right kind of social situation gives you freedom. So there's lots of ways to get it. Fear is a motivator. I don't recommend using it unless you're trying to save somebody. Yeah, you could use fear to keep them from smoking cigarettes, for example. Yeah, I wouldn't use this in the evil way. Curiosity is one of the most important and overlooked buttons on the human interface. You can see that authors that are good at it will make you curious at the end of a chapter so that you'll want to keep reading. So that you'll want to keep reading. Building curiosity into things is a really, really important button. When you can stoke somebody's curiosity, you can really shape what they do and you can shape your environment through curiosity. Very, very powerful. But freedom is a big thing. People will trade a lot for freedom. They will trade a lot for freedom. People will trade a lot for freedom. They will train a lot for freedom. Yeah, they will. Remembers uh, music journalists. Any remember music journalists? What up, Jacob Jabber? There used to be these things called music journalists. I was one of them. Uh, you know, Frank Zappa once said that writing about music is like dancing about architecture, and he was right. You know, the reason for music journalists to exist was because once upon a time it was not possible to listen to uh, music without spending loads of money. And like leaving the house and going on an epic quest. I remember once when I was little, uh, my dad spent, what was it, four or five, like I think it was about seven hours driving around Wales trying to find a little record shop so he could buy a Bon Jovi 7 inch. That you give love a bad name. He was like, he heard it on the radio and was like, I have to have this. And he went driving around the country all bloody day. And she came out with the Bon Jovi 7 inch, very happy. Now there is something to be said for an epic quest, that's true. 
That's true. But music journalists were required uh, so that they could tell you uh, what music was uh, good that you might like. And what would happen was you would, you'd get to know a music journalist via their style and you'd get to understand their opinion. So maybe say uh, you'd have a really good music journalist like Stephen Wells, who was a guy who wrote in a sort of ferocious uh, spit gun, rapid fire, comical, entertaining, hyperbolic style. And you just knew from his taste if he said something was like the greatest record of all time and a billion times better than the Beatles, whether you were going to like it or not. Now, you might not. He might think it was wonderful. and you, But you would know from his taste that his wonderful meant you wouldn't like it, but it would still be entertaining. It, that makes sense. There weren't playlists then, is the thing. There wasn't playlists. You had, to read, you had to read a music magazine, a Melody Maker, or a Vox, or a Q, or a Enemy, or a Smash Hits, or a Double XL, or a whatever it was, you know? Even the Source... You know, one of them things, um, Grand Royale. You read a music magazine, you need music journalists to write in the music magazines. And most journalists were hacks and most music, most music journalists were hacks and most music journalists sucked. And, uh, you know, I became one. And I became one, but I had an ulterior motive. I wanted to make music, and at that point, there was no internet in the way there is now. If you wanted to get out, there was only, you know, there were 12 covers of the Rolling Stone, as Prince used to say. There was only room for a few people making music. And if you wanted to make music and release it, you needed a record label and they needed to, uh, you know, you needed to get to them. And the, the, the fable, the myth was, oh, you'd send your demo tape in and someone would hear it. But I knew that was bollocks. I knew they got thousands of demo tapes and they had them in big piles and they didn't pay attention to them. I knew you had to know somebody and all that. So I knew that I would become, if, if I became a music journalist, I'd be in there with them all. You know, and I'd be able to, uh, you know, I'd have the connections to be able to get my music to people who might be able to release it. So I became a music journalist. And, you know, this was when I was a kid. I was a little kid when I hatched this plan. I left home when I was 16, you know, and I was, uh, I had lots of ridiculous jobs. I remember at one point I was working door to door selling gas, just banging on people's doors, getting them, convincing them to switch their gas provider. And it was at that point I hatched my plan. My plan was this, I would travel to London and I would interview a music journalist for my fanzine. A fanzine was a thing we used to have back in the day, it was a bit like a blog, I guess, but it was on paper. You'd photocopy, it was a cheaply produced magazine, maybe you'd like, you know, sell 50 copies or something. I knew music journalists were vain. So I figured, I know, I'll interview a music journalist and then I'll kind of like get, get, get in there a bit, you know? So I picked the most vain music journalist I could find and and, uh, and asked them if I uh, wrote to them and said I would like to interview you. And they, they of course, accepted. And I went, went to London and I interviewed them. And uh, just, as, just as I expected, I did indeed open some doors. And I, uh, I met some press officers. And they started sending me free records and inviting me to gigs. And then I'd go to the gigs. You could get into gigs for free. You got your records for free. At this point, I just still had my um, fanzine. Just off my fanzine. Great fanzine it was, too. So I'd be traveling down to London and going to gigs and meeting people and all this fandango. You know, and I quickly discovered that most music journalists were scum. Liars and scum. And they pretended to like records to get in with the PRs. The PRs were all powerful. Because here's the thing, if the PR, you know, if you didn't say that X new crappy indie band was the best thing since sliced indie bands, then they wouldn't send you the big record that you really wanted. 
and they wouldn't let you into the big gig that you really wanted to go to. And they wouldn't invite you to the after show party. That was the real currency for these fuckers. They wanted after show to go to after show parties. Because if you went to an after show party, you got a wristband and you got to like skip the line and you have to go past the plebs and look cool and, and powerful. And you get to like maybe sniff some sniff some blow with a, with, with a Jarvis Cocker or something or a queen of the stone age. You know, you'd maybe get to cop off with a 14 year old indie girl. There was a lot of that going on with music journalists back in the day. They're a, they're a creepy species. Not all of them, but a lot of them were. A lot of them were. Particularly, and the sorts that have now been, I mean, I know I see them. A lot of the sorts that have, uh, that have converted to the current wave of ideological possession or trendiness or wokeism or whatever you want to call it, those guys were doing some creepy shit in the year 2000, in the late 90s when I, w when I was a young kid getting into that world. I observed, I saw. But that was what was up. So music, the thing is, like, music journalists were unreliable. Unless it was a good one like Stephen Wells, who you could trust. And you could trust him because he was an asshole and he didn't care uh, to please anybody. But most of them did, you know. Most of them were writing, uh, were lying. Lying to the kids so they could secure access to an after-show party. So they would still get the uh, advanced copy of, you know, the 50 Cent album or whatever it was that they could then go down to the gig and they would hold it like that and be like, oh, I got the 50 Cent album. Did you get the 50 Cent album? Huh? Huh? That literally happened to me once. And I did get the 50 Cent album and I had it in my bum bag and I pulled it out and said, yes, I did, Mr. Vice Journalist. I actually do have the 50 Cent album. Now what are you gonna say? Be like, yeah, all right. They're creepy, man. They're creepy. Anyway, what the, I was talking to Fat Tony the other day. He posted a picture of an old Q magazine it was the one with Tori Amos and Bjork and PJ Harvey on the front, and the headline read, Tips, tits, lips, hips, power. Quite quaint, you know. But I remembered that. I was like, oh, blimey, I remember getting that. He's like, I miss music journalism. I was like, does it even exist anymore? You know, because I don't read no music magazines now. I don't have anything to do with the traditional music industry. I invented my own one. It's called Meaning Wave. You know, no, here's the funny thing. You know, Meaning Wave... Uh, does millions and millions of streams. Meaning Wave is actually uh, now more popular than a lot of the music that like is championed by the music press. But the music press has completely ignored Meaning Wave. The music press has never mentioned it. Not once. But I mean, it was at the point I just thought the music industry press didn't exist anymore. You know, um... And then I was I was uh, logging into my Spotify yesterday. And to log into my Spotify, I'd type Spotify artist into a search engine. And at the top of the search, rather than type the whole URL, at the top of the search, there was uh, a link to an enemy article. I was like, oh shoot, the enemy's still going. That's crazy. Let me have it. And the, it was an article. And it was by a guy called Mark Beaumont. Who, and I was like, I rec recognize that name. He's one of those guys who was writing back then. Wow, so that's still going, and those guys are still writing stuff. I wonder what they're writing. And he'd written a feature, and it was about Spotify. And the headline was, uh, is this. It was, Spotify's Daniel Eck wants artists to pump out content, question mark. That's no way to make the next OK Computer. <laughs> I pissed myself laughing. They're still going on about OK Computer. They're still going on about OK Computer and holding Radiohead up as the standard. This is like fucking, what, 30 years later? 
know what I mean? That's like if you was right about. Uh, that's like if you were writing about OK Computer when it came out, and uh, you were holding up like Frank Sinatra as the the standard of what music should be or something. You know, so it's like okay, so these fuckos are still stuck in that period of time where they mattered, and there was such a thing as a backstage pass, and getting a free CD was currency. So that was an interesting thing to know. It was like, well, of course they're not gonna like Spotify. Of course they're not gonna like Spotify. But let's see what he says. The mogul claims you can't record music once every three to four years anymore. The implications are more dire than a Drake feature. Ah, okay, so they still hate rap music as well, huh? That was the thing about journalists back in the day, like, and they're all, uh, they're all now, you know, wokeism converts and that. Wokeism converts. But they sure did hate um, rap music. They sure did hate what uh, was at that point called urban music. They hated grime. They hated R&B. They just liked indie bands. I used to think they were all a bit racist, you know? I thought that uh, I thought, well, they're like, oh, mate, it's okay, I guess. You know, you only like music made by white people, enemy journalists. Unless it happens to sound a bit like an indie band, maybe Death Grips or something, that's okay. But anyway, anyway. Enough for me to sort of make such uh, assumptions. Anyway, so Mark Beaumont writes, Am I alone in thinking we've been sold a dud on this whole internet thing? It promised us a limitless world of communication, then hooked us up almost exclusively with judgmental mobs and Moscow's deepest Brexit bot support super bait. Okay, so instantly, instantly you go, we go in with the p politicalisms. Instantly. Oh my goodness, a paragraph in, and you're saying that, that Brexit, that the uh, people of Britain who didn't want to be a part of the European Union, didn't exist, but they're actually Russian bots. <laughs> Is it, what's that got to do with spot? Anyway, okay. Uh, it told us we'd have a universe of information at our fingertips, then bombarded us with lies and ads and convinced generations that Rick Astley was some kind of omnipotent super being. It claimed it would find us all love at the tap of a button, then stalked, ghosted, and suggestive emojied us into bitter balls of hate. Did it? Is that what happened to you, Mark Beaumont? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mark Beaumont. I uh, I got married and uh, and, and uh, had a kid. <laughs> and finally left us standing at the Heathrow arrivals gate with a drooping bunch of flowers, wondering why Ukrainian supermodel Ivana Ripasov didn't make her flight. Sounds racist. Uh, since you sent the first class fare to the same account as all the money for her brother's dialysis machine. What? What? The bog standard music journalist still writes in completely unnecessary, uh, flowery piffle, it would seem. That was the thing they always used to do. So it's nice that that's still going. Uh, it promised musicians an online utopia with the artist as all-powerful webmaster. Hey. Uh, here, you could release your music however and whenever you liked, instantly bypassing all the evil old record labels with their artist fleecing contracts and delivering your music direct to an enthusiastic global audience of cash-flinging merch junkies with Ticketmaster on speed dial. I don't know about Ticketmaster, but most of the rest of that is, is accurate. Yes, uh, the internet has allowed us to reach our audiences and uh, be paid for making music while completely bypassing the traditional record industry. That's actually happened, yes. That has happened. Uh, billions of them right now just sitting there desperately scouring Bandcamp for your latest lockdown acoustic duet with the bloke from Star Sale. 
we're making Star Sailor references in 2020. You do realize that nobody uh, who's who's born in the past, I don't know, 30 years knows what a Star Sailor is, Mark Beaumont. Barely anyone who was around at the time knows what a Star Sailor is. I cannot believe that enemy journalists are still using Star Sailor references in 2020. Oh my goodness. Gotcha, suckers. Turns out we swapped one set of brutal galleon slave drivers for a new bunch with acid-soaked whips and no water, telling you to drink your own sweat. Last week, in an interview with Music Ally, Spotify's billionaire CEO Daniel X. Billionaire. How dare he say things? He's got money. That's disgusting. That in the streaming age, you can't... Re okay. Re rewind there. Last week, in an interview... Spotify's billionaire CEO Daniel Ek informed artists that in the streaming age, you can't record music once every three to four years and think that's going to be enough. The artists today that are making it realize it's about creating a continuous engagement with their fans. It is about putting work in, about storytelling around the album and about keeping a continuous dialogue with your fans. Um, okay. What's the problem here? So he said, "It's you can't record music once every three to four years and think that's going to be enough. Mark Beaumont is now going to have a massive problem with this. He would say, meet the new boss, even more mercenary and exploitative than the old one. What Eck is saying here is that he's helped instigate a new system whereby the vast majority of acts are paid so little for the consumption of their music. Thanks to the platform and label carve-ups, they can no longer release a record and then tour it properly. Tour it properly for a couple of years which ironically has become their main source of income thanks to streaming. Not true. Before making another one. To club tour it properly. You hear that? Properly. To claw their way to any sort of a longevity, they've got to keep relentlessly pumping out music like a sonic sweatshop in return if they're lucky for the price of the occasional Twix. Twix reference. Do people still have Twixes? Is that a thing? Gone are the days when a musician could afford to take all the time they needed and carve and craft the next loveless or okay computers. See his references there. Do you notice his references? What he thinks is, is worthwhile and good. He's telling us, just keep that Spotify content spewing along like so much own brand bog roll. It's the sort of talk of barefaced commerce over art, of music as a near worthless commodity that even the most cynical label execs used to save for the hushed wing chair discussions in the corner of the members club cigar rooms. And if he's right, it has some pretty, pretty, what? And if he's right, it has some pretty fundamental consequences for the present and future of music. This guy's upset. For a start, success is now openly for sale. What? The next self-releasing Oasis. What? All his references are for 30 years ago. Oasis can forget about streaming as a fast-track golden ticket out of poverty. Why? By X reckoning, you're going to need enough budget behind you to PR a single release a month for a few years to get any... No, he's not saying that. What are you talking about budgets and PR? You see where these people live? You lived 30 years ago. Come here. We're, it's different now. Ugh. So the culture-wide blanket of well-funded, bot-sticking, identical major label pop R&B tat will only get many togs thicker. And all that great rising DIY talent the internet promised us will continue to be suffocated underneath. What are you talking about? Eck claims that 13,000 new artists have entered the platform's top tier in the past year. Yet yeah, I must have missed the seismic, groundbreaking sonic revolution this would have inevitably caused while I was scratching around trying to find anything that didn't feature Little Wayne or Drake. You see here how still, 30 years later, the British music journalist 
presents as Grace and Worthy, the white rock musician of 30 years ago, and presents as Evil and Awful, the black rap musician of of about 20 years ago or something, uh, Drake. He also says uh, here, by the way, I don't know if you no noticed that, I must have missed the seismic groundbreaking sonic revolution. This would inevitably be, of course. Yes, you did, you prick. Yes, you obviously did. You were only talking about music from 30 years ago, and you haven't once mentioned Meaning Wave. Oh my goodness. You haven't mentioned any of the epic stuff that has come out of that. Because you're obviously not paying attention, because you're obviously still waiting for Polly Time Bean to send you a CD. Because that's how you find out about music when you're a music journalist in 1997. The lady from the PR company sends you a CD in a jiffy bag with some sweets in it and a present and tells you this is the thing you should listen to, music journalist. And you go, ooh, I suppose I should listen to this. I can't wait to go to the, back show, the backstage after party and snort some blow um, and bang a 14-year-old. Oh, my goodness. Uh, his vision marks the end of the album as we know and love it too. The rounded statements of art that mark out our lives and identities. There will still be 45-minute collections of songs called albums, sure, but since artists will have to keep pumping out tracks all the time, they'll probably just be cobbled together from songs you already know, released gradually over the previous months to keep the fans engaged, and followed immediately by another indistinguishable cycle. Perhaps we'll come to refer to the process as eking out. And that's a, that's a pun. It's not a very good pun. Unless you're already a Taylor Swift or an Adele, you won't be able to afford the advantage of a hyped-up event album released like Folklore. You're just a worker drone feeding into a system in which only the preordained queen bees get fat. What are you talking about? Have you not forgotten that the previous music industry, which you're, you're lamenting here, only allowed 12 people a year to do particularly well? Are you forgetting... Oh, you could properly tour an album for two years. What are you talking about properly tour an album for two years? Uh, let, uh, let me finish this, then I'll, then I'll refute all his points. In effect, Eric is suggesting in this new age of music distribution and consumption, we revert to the formative conveyor belt model we saw in the 50s and early 60s, before artists wrestled control of their own art and started making meaningful, creative works on their own terms. Are you telling me that the music made uh, in the early 60s and the 50s was not meaningful? Are you telling me that like Motown and Phil Spector and all that stuff was crap? What are you talking about? The days when besuited, interchangeable blue-eyed crooners what? treated as pure disposable commodity, only as good as the gleam in their teeth put out two or three albums of evergreen covers every year, with a couple of written-toward originals thrown in to keep themselves perpetually in the charts. What do you mean like the Beatles? That's what the Beatles did. That's what David Bowie did. That's what David Bowie did. Uh, I thought you liked that sort of stuff. Yet there's a vast cultural difference between then and now. In 1960, youth culture itself was young, excitable, and invested in individual acts. Psychologically, you appreciate something far more if you've actively gone out and bought it. 60 years on, we've developed herd immunity to most new music when something's as free and abundant as water from a tap. You tend to take it for granted or simply ignore it. <laughs> when something's as free and abundant as water from a tap, you tend to take it for granted or simply ignore it, Mr. Enemy Journalist, who gets all his music sent to him for free by Polly in a shiffy bag on a CD for the past 40 years or whatever, and is now pissed off because everyone else gets the same access 
to the music. This is what journalists really hate about Spotify, is that it gave everybody the same access to music they had. And it rendered them useless. But they really hate that. They really hate that you can just listen to music for free, and it used to be just them that could. You get to take it for granted or simply ignore it. Yes, you've been simply ignoring seemingly everything that isn't Radiohead and Oasis or whatever for 30 years. You tragic, tragic thing. Oh my goodness. There's always been a real thrill to the idea of bands as comets shooting by every few years, scattering stardust. Catch it while you can. It's music fandom felt like a wave machine. It made music fandom feel like a wave machine. A wave, this is funny. A wave machine. I know a wave machine. The anticipation of band teasing their first new material in years gives the Stan a brief euphoric lift, fading just in time for the next band to sweep in again. You see that? The next band. The convey You're talking about a conveyor belt of bands in which there's only room for one to be shining at any one time. Do you realize your entire article contradicts itself? Oh, my God. If these acts never went away but sat there dripping out tracks every six weeks without fail, the effect would feel more like waterboarding or, worse still, advertising. It's why you spend all night arguing about a surprise Kanye album in the pub, but never The Chase. I don't know what The Chase is, but Kanye is pretty prolific. He released two albums last year, I think it was. Uh, not a, little, a few years back, he was doing a thing where he was releasing a song every Friday. It was very exciting. Everyone was very excited by it and enjoyed it. Um, but anyway, don't worry. Let's not worry. Let's not worry about you making any bloody sense. He did mention uh, that a music artist that wasn't a white indie band in a slightly positive way, so that's something, I guess. Uh, and this eternal bewildering dribble of new music, how many acts could you reasonably stay perpetually engaged with for years on end before you'd lose interest in all but a couple of them? The result, as before, is the established acts winning through and the, no, and the smaller, often more talented artists dwindling like Rishu Sunak handing all that taxpayers' money to McDonald's under the guise of Britain eating its way out of coronavirus. The easiest solution, of course, would be for streaming platforms like Spotify to work with labels to reconfigure their increasing profits to ensure that all artists get fair share they deserve from their streams and continue making and releasing music as and when they want. As and when they want. And if you're reading this, Ivana, please get in touch. The phone number you sent me has 13 digits too many. Oh, he's got a little joke there about ordering uh, an Eastern European woman off the internet. Because it's all right to be sexist and racist if, if they're European. Is that, is that the point here? Anyway, well, that's nice. So there you go. Just to recap, uh, I, I assume, I, you know, I'd forgotten about music journalism. But it seems that uh, the music journalists of 30 years ago are still around. They're still writing for the enemy. And they still think it's 1997. They're still upset that they are no longer the powerful gatekeepers they once were. They still hold the white indie bands of 30 years ago as the gold standard for what good music is they still hate you they are still entirely contemptuous of uh of uh rap music it would seem they're entirely contemptuous of uh, any kind of a work ethic they think that there should only be like one band at any time that anyone really cares about and that band should exist for a little time and then disappear so he argued there that bands should not be able to have sustainable careers which is pretty weird kind of argued against himself there very strange um but anyway so his point his point there i mean i don't know where to, where to begin with this but let's begin at the beginning 
of, uh, of the bit that he disagreed with. So Mark Eck from Spotify said, and this is something I've been saying for 15, 20 years. He said that it is not enough to release an album every three to five years. Uh, let me find the exact quote. Make the exact quote. Yeah, Mr. Eck, Daniel Eck said, you can't record once every three to four years and think that's going to be enough. And uh, then yeah, this, this enemy person said, he was very upset about this and said they can no longer release the record then tour it properly for a couple of years very upset about this uh okay one so let's get let's get let's break this down i've i've, I've explained this one, one of the things i realized when i became a music journalist i noticed the pattern a pattern was this band appears band uh is amazing band uh releases a whole bunch of singles and b-sides and and live things and every one of these tracks is amazing band puts out debut album debut album is amazing band goes on tour properly tours the album properly for two years band returns to make second album second album is shit what went wrong well i observed this very early as a teenager as a teenager working as a music journalist as a teenager i observed oh what happened here is they were in the zone they were in the zone of making music and everything they touched turned to gold because they were working hard. They were they were rehearsing every day. They were writing songs every day. They were making songs on their little four tracks and that every day. They were working hard. They were in the zone. And everything they touched turned to gold. And then the record label made them tour the album properly for two years. And they went on tour and, and uh, drank booze and snorted drugs and, and uh, got off with, with teenagers. And uh, when they came back to try and make an album two, hours, two years later, they'd forgotten how. They were no longer in the zone. They had lost it. It is what they had lost. Mr. Enemy writes a guy. That very system that you are lamenting is the system that ensured that it was impossible for bands to make music with any kind of regularity. They would then, after the two years period, they'd have to fast around in a recording studio at a cost of thousands of dollars a day only the select few as well, baby. By the way, only a very select few had the privilege of being able to fast around in a recording studio at thousands of dollars a day. No one else had recording equipment and only those chosen by the record labels were allowed to do that. Farting around in a recording studio for out, uh, at thousands of dollars a day uh, until they got back somewhere near the zone and were able to eke out, drag out 12 songs of which usually uh, two were singles and the rest sucked. So years later, they finally dragged 12 songs out and they put them out and then they tore them properly. Hurrah! And the enemy journalist goes to the after show party and gets off with the teenager and does some blow. Hurrah! In the modern world, in this world that the Spotify CEO is talking about, there's something that I've been predicting and suggesting might be a good course of action uh, ever since I was a little music journalist in my teen years. The idea that, hey, maybe if you had some discipline and work ethic, maybe if you released more than 12 songs every four year, every election cycle, 
maybe if you just try to stay somewhere in, in too close to the zone, you might actually make better music. You might actually make better music that was therefore more useful and more valuable and what have you. And hey, hey, I mean, you were t there talking about, oh, this trickling. No one has to listen to it. A person could come along, find you, enjoy you for six months, then move on to something else. You could still be making music and someone else could come along and find it and be enjoyable. Hey, here's an example, by the way, of somebody who made lo who worked like that, who had that kind of work ethic, who had that kind of discipline. He, uh, he was a genius musician. And he would get up every day and he would walk into his own home recording studio. He didn't record in the studios of the record labels, like almost everybody else. When I was first signed to a record deal, uh, I wanted to use my advance money to buy my own recording studio equipment for my home. They didn't want me to do that. They fought against me doing that. I said I was not going to sign the deal unless they allowed me to do that. So eventually they did. They want you using their studios. They don't want you to have access to your own recording equipment. There's this genius, this absolute genius. He would go down to his studio every morning and uh, he would just like write songs. Uh, he would be cranking out multiple albums a week at certain points. A week. And the record label hated this. And, you know, he has multiple, multiple albums that they wouldn't let him release. He was one of the biggest pop stars in the world. One of the biggest rock stars in the world, too. Uh, he was a genius. And the traditional recording industry uh, stymied him and uh, held him back and would only allow him to release in that once every couple of years thing and all that. And that was Prince. That was Prince. If Prince was a new artist today, Prince would just be releasing a new album every week. And it would be amazing. And maybe you wouldn't like the one he put out this week and the one he put out in four weeks time would be, you would love it or whatever, it doesn't matter. He would have been doing it. He would have been allowed to do it. He would have been, not allowed, he would have been able to do it because the technology is there, the infrastructure is there, that a genius like Prince can sit there and he can wake up in the morning, he can go downstairs and write uh, some God-like, he can just open himself up to the universe and conduit God, because that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing when you're making music, right? And the deeper into the zone you get, the better a conduit for God you are. That's what Stevie Wonder did. That's why Stevie Wonder wrote a thousand songs. He opened himself up and became a conduit to God. He was not into, he was part of that conveyor belt that the enemy journalist was sneering at there. Stevie Wonder was a part of that and he loved it. You go read interviews with him. You go watch him talk. He loved it. He's, he would sit down there at the piano and he would he would close his eyes, he would close his eyes and uh, and he would let God flow through him and write classics. You know? This is what we do now. This is what we can do now. This is what I was do always doing. By the way, before Meaning Wave, uh, I'm sure there's some will say, oh, oh, it's easy for you to make so much music, Akira the Don, because you're not writing all the lyrics. You're using other people's voices. Uh, well, actually, before I was doing Meaning Wave, uh, I was doing my own rap music. And if you look at my history there, I was putting out mixtapes, sometimes multiple mixtapes every month. And each mixtape would have about 30 songs on it. I released hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs. And me and my friends would get together almost every day and we'd make songs together and it was wonderful and we enjoyed it and we loved it and our fans loved it. And uh, the, the industry and you lot uh, didn't like it, you know? But we did. It's entirely possible. The, you, you, it's, like, it's like saying, how many articles do you write, Mr. Enemy Journalist? Do you write more than one a week? Do you think it's possible that there is stuff to say within music you could have more than 12 things every three years to say in a song. 
Do you think perhaps that just the uh, the limited subject matter that you deem acceptable for a song is a bit of, is a part of the problem? Do you think that if the full range of human experience could, was a was a could be commu would be communicated in a record? Do you think that people had ever run out of th songs to sing and things to say and s things to to put into music? You know, there's so much this this infinite possibility and potential and glory around us and you think oh no only 12 songs every three years is enough to cover that from a, a shuffling conveyor belt of like one new 12 acts or whatever it is there's this poisonous disgusting stupid idea the art and artists must wait for their muse you must wait for your muse. You should not force art. The evil, the evil capitalist business people will want you to force art. No, you should wait for your muse. You should sit around on your ass with your, you should sit around with your thumb up your ass, uh, you know, drawing on your face with crayons until the muse arrives and then you make your okay computer. Bollocks. You get up, you get after it. Discipline gets things done. The pro, goes to work. I've said this, I say this to uh, musicians, they come to me, they say, Kira the Don, uh, how do I become a producer? What should I best do? What software should I use? Da, 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 da. I say the first thing you do is just, you know, just pick a thing, work out how to use it, and then just make a new track. And make one every day, at least. You know, and just finish it and move on. And because every new, every one you do, you'll learn something. Every time you try, you'll pick up a new skill, you'll pick up a new technique, you'll learn something new, you'll have some new insight. If you only write 12 songs in three years or whatever it is, you're not learning very much. If you write a new song every day, hey, maybe they all suck. Apart from 12 in three years, but the 12 you get to in the three years are gonna be way better because you're gonna have learned so much more. Also, uh, that muse thing you talk about, that's not a thing that you wait for. It's a thing that's always there. That's God. God's always there. God is never not always there. God is that which is there when you take everything else away. You dig? God is that which is there when you take everything else away. You are not your thoughts. You are that which observes those thoughts. Right? Thoughts cannot exist without that. But that can exist without thoughts. That thing you're talking about is always there, which means it's always accessible. And if you discipline yourself and turn yourself into the kind of beast like Prince did, like Stevie Wonder did, that can just switch on that muse at will. Get up, get out of bed, go downstairs, pick up the guitar, switch on the computer, whatever it is, and just switch on that muse. Open yourself up to God and let God flow through. That's what a pro does. That's what a pro artist does. That's what a pro craftsman does. A pro writer does the really great writers, the really great ones, not the, not the the hacks, not the miserable, sad hacks making terrible jokes about ordering European women off the internet. You sick weirdo. They do that too, baby. They've built themselves into these epic machines, like a Gundam thing, like a like a Japanese. Uh, you know those mech suits, like a mech suit. You build the most impeccable mech suit. That's you. And then you say, you close your eyes and say, okay, God, you drive. That's all you do, baby. 
then you can make an amazing record every day. You can make four amazing records every day. And now, because we live in the future, you can release them every day. And guess who gets to choose if they want to listen to it or not? Not you, NME journalists, because you do not keep the gates anymore. They're not your gates. You don't keep them. And so you're pissed off and you're bitter and you're miserable and you're making bad jokes about ordering European women off the internet because you're so pissed off that you don't get to dictate what people listen to anymore. They get to choose for themselves and they choose whatever they like. Maybe they want to listen to Japanese reggae. Maybe they want to listen to lo-fi hip-hop beats. You know, maybe they want to listen to beats made by some guy you've never heard of and never cared to hear of. Because Polly Toynbee didn't Polly Toynbee, because Polly at the at the press office didn't put the CD in a jiffy bag with a with a little Grammy of some of something for you, you know. The world moved on. It's not 1997 anymore. OK Computer is not the be all and end all of music. It's a good album. It's a very good album. Some people, uh, you know, it's a very good album. Uh, personally, I don't, you know, I I I liked Pablo Honey. I think Radiohead pretty much peaked uh, with uh, Just, you know? That's just me, though. I'm a Philistine. What do I know? What do I know? All I know is that uh, I'm grateful to be here at the peak of recorded human civilization, and uh, I have a career making music uh, thanks to this system. And I get up every day, and I get after it. And uh, I've been getting up and getting after it for a long time now, and the more disciplined I've got, the better the music has got. I'm about to put out this Joe Rogan album. Wait till you hear it. Wait till you hear it, you'll go, holy cow, Akira the Don, this sounds even better than the last one. How's that possible? But that's what that's inevitable. When you get up and get after it and you get into the zone and you do not leave and you do not fuck off and you do not tour the album properly for two years. And you do not listen to morons at the NME telling you that like that you should be like sitting around on your ass and being lazy and being a bum. Waiting for the muse to come along and tickle your butthole. <laughs> Discipline gets things done. The pro goes to work, Mr. NME guy. And a world in which uh, musicians are expected to make more than one album every three to four years. It's not a bad world where music is doomed. It's a wonderful world where the potential for music to be better than it's ever been before is finally here. Because it is through that discipline of forcing yourself to get up and get after it, particularly when you don't want to, that will take you to those true God places. And some people found those, you know, Prince. Prince didn't get to be the great Prince he was by sitting around on his butt. James Brown didn't get to be the god that he was by putting out an album once every three, four years. James Brown was a machine. And he made god-tier records. James Brown, like most of early hip-hop, was based off of that one guy, James Brown. That's what one guy did. Discipline gets things done. Discipline. And I'm grateful and I'm proud to live in an era where that is now just patently obvious. And we're now in an era where uh, those who are disciplined and those who do go forth and be mighty and take advantage of those opportunities finally have an opportunity to do well. It is now not up to the gatekeepers, the guy at the enemy, the guy at the record label. It's no longer has, it's, they don't have any say anymore. They don't have any vote anymore. 
not in the way they used to. You're completely wrong, Mark Beaumont, when you say that now all that will exist is, t is uh, Taylor Swift and Drake and stuff like that. It's patently untrue. We now live in a world where, say, Young Lean, uh, a weirdo rapper from Sweden uh, that you've probably never heard of, can release a couple of albums every year, um, some singles every month or so, and uh, that are all wonderful and his fans adore, and have a complete sustainable career, uh, making plenty of money and uh, supporting his family, and you've never even heard of him. And there's thousands and thousands, millions of these, I don't know how many, there's a lot. There's definitely many, many thousands, and it increases every day. Many, many, many thousands of artists who now make a living doing what they love because of this potential and because of this system. And the old way doesn't work anymore, Mr. Enemy Guy. And that's good because the old way was cancerous and anti-human. And the old way meant that only a very select few ever got to make music and live off of that. A very select few. Prince once said, he once said, there's only 12 NME covers. I remember Terence Trent Darby. Terence Trent Darby believed that Prince and Michael Jackson conspired to have his career crushed because there was only 12 Rolling Stone covers and that meant only two black guys. There's now infinite Rolling Stone covers and Rolling Stone is garbage and I wouldn't wipe my nuts with it after a sweaty workout session, baby. <laughs> There's now infinite cover space, infinite enemy covers, and we don't need to listen to enemy journalists anymore because we can just listen to the record ourselves and make our mind up immediately. And people that we trust who have good taste put together good playlists. There are brilliant YouTube channels where uh, just kids who just happen to love music put together mixed videos of epic stuff, and so therefore genres like funk and vaporwave or uh, you know, lo-fi and things like that explode and become huge and the people who make that music suddenly have careers and suddenly can make money doing what they love. There was a dozen people a year that could do it in this glorious era that you're so upset about losing. Now, I don't know what the number is. You could do it. You could probably make more money making music than you do writing your shitty columns, Mr. NME guy. You probably could. If you got disciplined, if you got up early, if you worked out use DAW, if you found, uh, you know, some kind of niche, some kind of uh, unique thing that was unique to you, you probably could. You probably could. But you know, I don't know. I don't know how disciplined you are, baby. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what kind of a work ethic you have. But that's what it is, and that's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. Discipline gets things done. The pro goes to work. One thing that discipline definitely does help you with, it helps you get things done. And when you get things done, when you actually do things, you have more success. A big part of success is just not being fucking lazy and just doing it. 90% of it is just showing up. Get there and start working. Like You're not gonna feel perfect every day. If I only worked out when I felt good, I'd be a fat fuck. Because there's a lot of days I don't want to do it. I mean, it's pretty much the same with everybody that actually gets good at something. There's got to be those days you push through. 
they're probably going to be more numerous than the days you don't. And so the benefit of discipline in my eyes has always been that through discipline, I get things done. I'm like the most lazy, disciplined person I know because I don't want to do it. Through discipline, I get things done. The throw goes to work. Through discipline, I get things done. This is what I do. I also think that discipline is a pathway to creativity. When you're on the battlefield, is an absolute exercise in creativity. How are we going to attack them? How are we going to disorganize them? How are we going to get in their heads? That's all just massive creativity. And when I look at people that are artists, I would imagine the more disciplined you are, you got to write stuff down. You got to read. You got to increase your vocabulary so that you are quicker and sharper so that when people are saying things, you have more words to battle back at them. All those things, all that freedom that you get on stage comes from the discipline. You study, you learn, you read, you write, you talk, you go through things. Is that an accurate statement? Absolutely accurate. <laughs> through discipline, I get things done. The pro goes to work. Through discipline, I get things done. This is what I do. Through discipline, I get things done. The pro goes to work. Through discipline, I get things done. This is what I do. Yeah, and that's what you're getting of that. <laughs> from the album Experience Akira the Don Joe Rogan coming out on Friday that one features Jocko Willinks called Discipline Gets Things Done it's something of a how to how to not be a lazy whiny bitch and unlock the god tier potential in you how to take advantage of living at the peak of recorded human civilization and turn yourself into a conduit for the cosmos. Yo. Everybody can be wealthy. Everybody can be rich. You sat there with your lack mindset. Oh no, oh no, there's too much music. Oh no, that, no, no, no. People can get music for free. Oh no, no, no. Shut the fuck up. She walking well posters, that track is amazing. Yo, it is. <laughs> Thank you, it is. You wait till you hear the full thing. That was a that was a little piece. Friday, baby, Friday. Experience. Kira the Don, Joe Rogan, whole album. Uh, I should have called it How to Not Be a Bitter and Resentful Neck Beard, Jacob Chakva, you're right. I ain't got nothing against people who, who grow beards on their neck, though. But I understand what, what people are saying when they use that terminology, yes. Yes, I understand. Whiny little bitch. How about that? How to not be a whiny little bitch. And how to be a bitter and twisted, resentful fucktard. Good morning. Yo, did I just rant for an hour? Did I just rant for nearly an hour? You see what we do here on the Meaning Wave Morning Show? Uh, yesterday, I didn't say a word. I just played Synthwave. 
Yeah. I didn't say anything. Today, today, I ranted for nearly an hour. See, look, this, this is that diversity. This is that diversity you've all been clamoring for. Everybody wants diversity, I know, and here you go, you're getting diversity. That's diversity, baby. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Spencer Grove says it was at least 45 minutes. At least. Good. Good. Um. <laughs> Sean P says rant filled with meaning. Jacob Chapper says it was glorious. Sherry Hazelnut says every meaning wave is unique. Yeah, it is. How does he do it? How does he pump out, drip out so much music? And, uh, and, it, and it actually be unique and different and meaningful. Oh no, someone, someone page that enemy journalist. Meaning, baby, meaning, that's it. Meaning is the motivation. Discipline equals freedom. Don't need motivation, we've got meaning. Discipline equals freedom, it's that. Meaning wave, meaning wave, meaning wave. But you wouldn't know about that because you've just been sat there listening to OK on computer on loop for 30 years, haven't you? So you wouldn't know about anything interesting or new or, uh, you know, in any way magical or unique that has occurred in music in the past 30 years because you didn't get it on a CD in a jiffy bag. Tragic creature. Yo. always wants new things. So people who complained about this, they're like, oh, in the modern age, if you put out a record out on Friday, by next Friday, it's old. Society always wants new things. That's always been the case. Take advantage of that. You're not going to get rich renting out your time, but you say that you will get rich by giving society what it wants, but does not yet know how to get at scale. That's right. We talked about before, money is IOUs from society saying you did something good in the past, now here's something that we owe you for the future. And so society will pay you for creating things that it wants. But society doesn't yet know how to create those things. Society always wants new things. Society always wants new things. Society always wants new things. And if you want to be wealthy, wealthy, you want to figure out which one of those things you can provide for society that it does not yet know how to get, but it will want. Almost everything in your house, in your workplace, and on the street used to be technology at one point in time. There was a time when oil was technology that made J.D. Rockefeller rich. Cars were technology that made Henry Ford rich. Technology is just a set of things, as Alan Kay said, that don't quite work yet. 
want something worth it's no longer technology society always wants new things society always wants new things society always wants new things and if you want to be wealthy wealthy you want to figure out which one of those things you can provide for society or society that it does not yet know how to get but it will want natural to you and within your skill set within your capabilities and then you have to figure out how to scale it because if you just build one of it that's not enough you got to build thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions or billions of them so everybody can have one Steve Jobs and his team of course figured out that society would want smartphones computer in their pocket that had all the phone capability times 100 and be easy to use so they figured out how to build that and then they figured out how to scale it and then they figured out how to get one into every first world citizen's pocket and eventually every third world citizen too and so because of that they're handsomely rewarded and Apple is the most valuable company in the world First, it starts with an act of creativity. First, you create it just because you want it. You want it, and you know how to build it, and you need it, and so you build it for yourself. Then you figure out how to get it to other people, and then for a little while, rich people have it. Like for example, rich people had chauffeurs, and then they had black town cars, and then Uber came along, and everyone's private driver was available to everybody. And now you can even see Uber pools that are replacing shuttle buses because it's more convenient. And then you get scooters, which are even for the down market of that. It's about distributing what rich people used to have to everybody. But the entrepreneur's job starts even before that, which is creation. Entrepreneurship is essentially an act of creating something new from scratch, predicting that society will want it. and then figuring out how to scale it and get it to everybody in a profitable way and self-sustaining way. Society always wants new things. Society always wants new things. Society always wants new things. And if you want to be wealthy, wealthy, you want to figure out which one of those things you can provide for society that it does not yet know how to get, but it will want. Society always wants new things. Society always wants new things. Society always wants new things. And if you want to be wealthy, wealthy, you want to figure out which one of those things you can provide for society that it does not yet know how to get, but it will want. Meaning wave. If I delayed out the meaning wave bit, shocking. Shocking behavior. Anyway, so thank you all for being here. Uh, thank you all for being here. I hope you enjoyed that rant. Uh, the couple of you that didn't enjoy that rant, well, there's plenty of other things you could be doing with your time. Uh, so go do those things. Haha. And uh, some questions. Someone was asking if I'm going to be turning the earlier mixes into albums. Uh, yes is the answer. Yes is the answer. And uh, the next one that's getting that treatment, of course, uh, as many of you know, is What's Wave 2. What's Wave 2 is being turned into an album. That was part of the What's Wave vinyl uh, package. That was a stretch goal. I believe, what was it? Uh, What's Wave 20K? If we hit 20K, I said I'd remake What's Wave 2 and put it on Spotify as an album. 
so that's happening. That's uh, I'll be getting after that very shortly. So yeah, that'll be going on. Uh, Meaning Wave does indeed exist. Chat says to everyone uh, who uh, agrees that Meaning Wave exists. Yeah, it's quite it's quite fun. Reading back, reading back your chats throughout that since I don't normally just talk for that long without looking at what you said. Normally I'm looking at what you say, but I kept that pure. And yeah, and I'm glad I did, baby. Glad I did. Glad I did. Meaning Wave Radio 24/7 is coming shortly. Keep an eye out for that. You'll get told on the Discord when it when it goes live. And then once it is live, uh, it should should always be there. Should you ever need to listen to some Meaning Wave. So, for example, if there's ever a time when uh, you're watching a Meaning Wave morning show and Akira the Don is uh, talking at length about something he has knowledge about and is passionate about, and you're not that interested, you could always go listen to the Meaning Wave stream. I mean, you know, you could already do something similar to that. You could go to Spotify and put on a playlist. We launched a new playlist this week. We are, we're dropping new playlists every week now. We're just maximizing the usefulness as best we can, baby. As best we can. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Oh, bless. Shouts out to everyone in bed. Shouts out to everyone in bed. You know, it's very nice. Uh, I quite like this now. My wife and kid are in bed for many, 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 many years. I was up till six in the morning working and then they would get up early and they would tiptoe around the place and try not to wake me up. Now I get up before them. By the time they woke up, I've already been ranting on Twitch for an hour. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive, brothers and sisters. Anyway, I'm going to get out of here. I've got to go get after it, get stuff done. Uh, thank you all for being here. I hope you found some something useful in that. And uh, join me now for one by five. Join me for by five. We'll be on the YouTube tonight at 7 CT. I don't know why I had to think about that. It's the same time every day. Seven in the morning, seven in the evening. CT. That's how we get down. Uh, last night we went really, really hard. If you were here last night, make some noise. Last night we went super hard. We're going to try outdo that tonight. We're going to try out turbo last night. Last night was very turbo. We're going to try out turbo the turbo. Boom! All right, you know what to do. You know what to do. That's what you do. Then you do that. Three, two, one. Hurrah! Sweet dreams, baby. Oh, daydreams. Get after it. All that. Good morning. Go forth and be mighty. Don't be a whiny bitch.